0: One, two, three, four. You are listening to Holly and Rebecca, and we are on the committee of Young Musicians for Social Justice. Young Musicians for Social Justice seeks to bring together and empower young musicians to recognise their potential as agents of social change. This podcast asks the question, what is the role of music in bringing about social justice? Over the next 12 weeks, we are going to hear from a number of different speakers, all with unique perspectives on this question. We hope you enjoy listening to our conversations. The music you can hear is a snippet from the National Open Youth Orchestra. Composed by Liam Taylor-West, this piece, entitled The Umbrella, earned Liam a British Composer Award in 2018. Here you can hear it being played by Southwest members of the National Open Youth Orchestra. In this podcast, we chat with two members of the National Open Youth Orchestra, Ellen O'Brien and Jamie Moody. Ellen is in her final year studying music at Oxford University, and since being a member of the National Open Youth Orchestra, otherwise known as NOYO, she has had a passion for inclusivity in music. In 2018, as a representative of the Southwest Open Youth Orchestra, Noyo's predecessor, Ellen performed and spoke to ministers at a parliamentary reception, celebrating inclusive music making in the Southwest. Ellen also enjoys volunteering in community music settings, including prisons, hospitals, and inclusive choirs. For the past year, she has been coordinating the University Music Society's outreach and access programs. Ellen is currently researching further into inclusivity in music, and hopes to continue in this line of work in the future. Jamie is in their third year as a saxophonist in the National Open Youth Orchestra. Jamie is fascinated by storytelling in all its forms, and would like to write and direct their own films. They recently arranged a piece for Noyo, and this has inspired them to look into scoring and soundtracking TV and film. Being queer and disabled, Jamie recognises the lack of visibility both groups face and wants to change this through music and media. Jamie greatly enjoys being included in decisions regarding how pieces are played. They also like the social network Noyo has provided them.
1: Thank you so much for coming, Jamie and Ellen.
2: Thank you
1: for having us. So firstly, we ask all our listeners this question. What music has got you both through COVID-19 restrictions? So I'll ask Jamie first, and then we'll go to Ellen.
3: Well, one band that I like got into a little more recently when lockdown repeated itself again was um, Glass Animals. They've got a... It's very difficult to describe their genre. They're quite small and unique and combine a mix of sort of more traditional rock instruments along with synths and computerized sounds but i've also been i've also been revisiting music from bands that i previously liked such as 21 pilots and fallout
2: boy a lot of alternative rock nice how about you ellen yeah, I think mine's been a, a big mix, really. I started off, I think, the like first kind of lockdowns, we got really into Hamilton, and <laughs> so that was like our big thing. And ha- everyone in the house always had a Hamilton on somewhere. Um, but also, I listened to a lot of folk music, um, so a lot of like Irish folk and stuff, um, which is nice, just reminding like me of the playing and the sessions and stuff in the pubs that we usually do. I think that like the single piece I've probably listened to most, which I found out during lockdown as well um, was the Canon Mason's recording of Deep River by Samuel Coleridge Taylor Mm, uh, and I think it's such an amazing piece I hadn't heard it before or it's like a new recording but um, yeah that's the one I think I've probably listened to the most times Nice. I've got a lot of listening to
1: do after this um,
2: (laughs) recording.
1: (laughs) Um, So could you both let us know a little bit about yourselves? What do you both play? Um, Jamie, if you want to go first.
3: Sure. Uh, I play the alto saxophone in oil, which I got into via Lisa Simpson. (laughs) As in from The Simpsons. As in from The Simpsons. (laughs) Um, Specifically an episode where she plays Take Five by uh, Dave. I I always, I'm I'm never sure if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. but Uh, I'm not sure. I wanted to learn to play the saxophone to play that piece, which I said I would learn in lockdown and still haven't. (laughs) (sighs) But um, outside of music, I'm also a big fan of... uh, of various like storytelling podcasts uh, particularly uh, sort of actual play like shows of various tabletop role-playing games well like particularly Dungeons and Dragons and oh I'm, yeah I'm in a couple of groups myself and a lot of the playlists I currently have are actually centered around characters I've made that's really
2: cool yeah
1: that is really cool <laughs> Yeah. OK, cool. So, Ellen, could you tell us a little about
2: a little bit about yourself? Yes. Yeah, so I play French horn in Noyo um, and I also do some folk, as I said earlier, um, sort of whistles and various instruments in there. Um, I started off playing piano, but then I moved to horn because I met my like current horn teacher at this like, outreach thing with an orchestra um, and I saw her play and I thought it was very cool. And she said later on that she always chose the smallest person in the orchestra, in the audience to to have a go at playing her horn. And I'm quite a small person. And at the time, I was a lot smaller. So she, she was like, always see if we can get the smallest person to play. And I probably made an awful sound, but I thought it was fun. So then I said oh, I wanted to have a go. And a few years later, my mum found out the name of this, this lady who'd been teaching me, Laura Tanner. Um, and so that's how I got into horn. But yeah, I think one of the really exciting things about NIA, which we'll probably talk about a bit later, is a massive range of instruments um, and some instruments that you wouldn't find in a conventional orchestra, which I think makes the music so much more exciting. Yeah, sounds great. I was listening to some of the excerpts um, from the orchestra
0: earlier. It's just so, um, it's so inventive. I, I love hearing the different instruments
1: that are all part of the orchestra. It's great. So you are both members of the National Open Youth Orchestra, which throughout this podcast, we have been referring to it as NOYO, which is an abbreviation. So Ellen, perhaps you could tell us um, the story of NOYO.
2: Yeah, so um, NOYO is the world's first disabled-led National Youth Orchestra. Um, It started in Bristol area in the Southwest as the Southwest Open Youth Orchestra. because there was, it was identified that there was a lack of um, progression routes for disabled musicians and a wealth of talent in that area, but wasn't being wasn't being shown and hadn't had any opportunities. So um, this was set up um, first of all in Bristol, and now we've expanded. So there's now four regional centres. Um, there's still one in Bristol, in London, Birmingham, and Bournemouth. Um, so each there's about thirty three, I think, at the moment. Um, musicians at the moment So we have disabled and non-disabled musicians playing a variety of instruments so some of them well if you've heard that Jamie and I um, play saxophone and horn but we also have string instruments violin cello viola harp um, guitars percussion and then um, keyboards and then two instruments I think maybe more than two that I haven't heard before in an orchestra, which was uh, the lintstrument and the clarion. So the clarion in particular is an instrument that's been developed by Open Up Music, who organize the orchestra as well. And it's an expressive, accessible instrument that musicians can play with any part of their body. So in Noyo, several people play it with their eyes because it works with the eye gaze technology. Um, and they've got such a massive range of sounds they can make because it's an electronic instrument. So that gives us so many opportunities um, in the orchestra. And it's really great to to hear all of their different variety of sounds as well. Um, so every year we all come together, usually, um, as a big residential. And that's where the sort of regional centres become national. Um, yeah, so it started up, I think, in 2018 as the National Open Youth Orchestra and we're slowly expanding so getting bigger and our main kind of like big concerts and stuff were going to be last year but obviously none of that happened so we are in the process of sort of doing recordings and stuff but next year will be like the big year when National Open Youth Orchestra performs in the kind of big places in London and stuff so that'll be really exciting.
1: Yeah that sounds great. Yeah so Ellen how did you come to be involved it said in your bio you were a member of the um southwest open youth orchestra is that right
2: yeah so i um completely coincidentally really i was involved in a sort of like bristol community music awards thing and i met um, a musician there who played in the southwest open youth orchestra and he was playing clarion um and as part of it we both did like a little solo performance and then afterwards i just got chatting to him and also to the musical director of the National Open Youth Orchestra now who was with him at the time. Um, they just said, why don't you come along and see what it's like? Um, because this was at the time before it was sort of a very much like auditioned as a National Open Youth Orchestra. Um, so I was really lucky to get involved pretty near the start and then see how it expanded to get up to the National Open Youth Orchestra.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. So Jamie, Perhaps you could tell us how you uh, came to be involved in Neue. Um,
3: Well, my mum is a she's a music teacher at a disabled school, and some of her students were in, and she by proxy was involved in Open Up Music and parts of the Southwest Open Youth Orchestra. And I attend, mm-hmm. and she sort brought me along to one of their concerts. And it, which like I was particularly interested because in I I like to see that sort of like I have a slight interest in orchestral music, having parents who were both in local orchestras, and then that combination with more modern sound, and like really interested me. And so then, uh, I think a few weeks, a few weeks or months later she said my she said hey they're holding auditions would you like to send in a tape and i i kind of felt a little bit weird about it cuz i hadn't this was the first time i'd really auditioned for something like that and i i still have a lot of anxiety regarding my own abilities as a mm. performer and just in general mm. but i sent through a tape playing a piece that i quite liked and i got a response and i got in Good
1: work. so yeah you spoke a little bit about um before we started recording as well you told us a little bit about um some of your previous musical experiences and how you found some of them to be inaccessible um would you be able to expand on that a little bit Uh,
3: yeah well um I ended up switching schools when I was about sort of 13 for various reasons and the school I went to had a lot of investment in their music programme. There were several different orchestras and the teachers were like always like very much encouraged us to take part in choirs and musical groups and I did music at and I did music at GCSE level, but I at my previous school I had tried being part of an a cappella choir because the leader of that was also my singing teacher, but there was like always a sense that like I because I I, my autism wasn't yet diagnosed I very much felt out of place surrounded Mm. by by non-disabled neurotypical students and so when I switched schools I didn't really consider trying out for choirs and I attempted to look into some of the orchestras but like that same anxiety came up and it it kind of felt like that even if I did try out for it, there was always going to be like this wall separating Mm. me from the other performers. And, and I, at the time I was still very much in a position, even though I'd just been diagnosed, I felt very, I felt very anxious about asking for help and assistance because I was still in a state where I felt like, Oh, I, I should be able to function without this. Like, Mm. do, do I really need this kind of support? And it's taken a bit of time to get to a place where I can feel like yes, I do need the support and I should ask for it. And Noyo's very much helped with that because, like in rehearsals, like the sort of orchestra leaders, Doug and Charlie have very much said like if you need to take a couple of minutes to step outside and just pace for a moment, you can do that. Yeah, and it, it's and it's nice being in an understanding environment environment where other people take that first step and I don't have to be responsible for my own needs and my own accessibility Mm.
1: I think that's a really interesting point about other people taking the first step and having that space and environment where um everyone's aware of of that and can sort of make changes to help everyone around them um so yeah it sounds like would you say that Noyo sort of broke down some of those walls that you were finding difficult when you were in some of the school music environments?
3: Yeah, particularly because of that first step thing. And mm. in the very first session, one of the, like, we laid out a series of ground rules for how we were going to interact with each other. Mm. And, like, it, it's, it is very good because, like, in previous groups, it kind of felt like the onus was very much on me to make sure I felt comfortable and I felt safe, mm. which it shouldn't always be because not it shouldn't always be because the adults in charge should, like should be responsible for the safety and the and accessibility of the kids.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of training I think, I guess, yeah, training up more yeah. musicians and adults in charge to be aware of that and to be better allies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm really interested, and we just touched on this, um, but I'm really interested in some of the musical and social principles of Noyo. So you've mentioned that there's this topic of control and who controls the music. Um, perhaps you could explain how this works in Noyo.
2: Yeah, so I think as Jamie said, um, inclusivity and making sure everybody is aware of everything is like very much ingrained in the structures of Noyo and from the very beginning. Um, so everybody has like a personal development plan and things. So it's it's set out and it's also known by the practitioners. Um, but in terms of the music as well, it's the same kind of principle. So the musicians have a part to play at every step of the performance. Really, um, of most of the time we work with um, new composers and commissions Um, because of the variety of instruments it's quite exciting for composers as well Um, so most of the time we'll get the composer to come into the rehearsals um, listening to us to play and maybe they have like a a few bars that they want us to try out Mm. Um, and they always ask for feedback that's a very kind of like two-way process it's not sort of this is the composer you're going to play their piece um, so we work with the composers, but also once the arrangement have sort of been made, so some of us use sheet music and some of us don't, um, even at that stage, it's very much, does this work for you? Um, have you got ideas of how to make it harder, easier, or just make it more interesting? Um, so each musician often gives in a bit of feedback. Sometimes it will be like practical things, like this is a bit, I prefer to go down an octave or something. Um, but very often it's also like, this would sound cool can we have a listen how this would work with these two people and we do quite a lot of like improvisation as well so in terms of like the musical approaches it's very flexible Mm. and I think that's the same with the social um side of things so everybody well from my own experiences most people feel quite accepted in the orchestra and that's just because it's like that's the environment it's set out to be and I think that's the thing which is Different in other orchestras, when you go in, you audition, It's there's not, not always meant to be, but there is a sort of like hierarchy. Some people know each other, some people don't. Yeah. It's quite competitive and it's, it's still like fun and the music together, like music is amazing at bringing people together. But it's not, you don't walk into the environment. From my experience, I feel instantly like accepted and comfortable. And I think that's something that I noticed as a non-disabled musician going into Noyo.
1: Yeah, I think that is that is such a good point because I've definitely not always felt comfortable and welcomed when I've been in other orchestral spaces. I was wondering if either of you had any thoughts on how sort of the ethos of Noyo, which you've just said of like being welcoming, inclusive, um, how that could be sort of translated or how other orchestras and music organisations could learn from Noyo in that aspect?
3: Well... I think one of the really critical aspects is the idea of like conduct of like the leaders of these groups listening to their musicians and including them in decision making about about performance pieces rather than trying to do it to say the conductor's will mm. or the will of the original composer which is sometimes very really difficult because in a lot of other orchestras the comp like the composer who wrote the piece has been dead for a number of centuries <laughs> like um a a recent example that happened in our rehearsal like last Saturday was getting through a piece we've done called Sleeping Rainbows which is a bit of a mashup of uh of somewhere over the rainbow mm. and uh, another piece that I I can't quite remember the name of it. A sleeping
2: tune. It's a folk piece.
3: And essentially, like, I was having a little bit of a trouble with some of the transition between the sections, and Doug said, well, like, those three quavers at the end, they're kind of just filler, so if you want to cut them out, you can cut them out. And it that, and just, that is, I think that kind of approach would be very beneficial to other to. orchestras for disabled and non-disabled musicians alike just Mm. not only because it makes it makes musicians feel heard and allows them to play in play effectively but it also makes the music a little bit more interesting because then people rather than simply playing off the sheet then we're coming up with new interpretations and versions of already existing pieces
2: yeah that sounds great yeah, I think in music often as well, like we think something is best when it sounds the most difficult. Mm. But I think that often the yeah. pieces that are in on the page perhaps look simple. When the orchestra or ensemble plays it together, those pieces are just as good, if not better, as the ones that you know you've worked like for hours on one bar or yeah. something. <laughs> and I think I think the the sort of fundamental of no is how person centred it is and how musician centred it is. Yeah. And I think that is something and also how much we kind of can know about other people's part as well. Because if we want to, like at the beginning of when we're starting to learn a new arrangement, they might say, or oh, if you want to look at the full score, like we can send that to each of you. So, for example, quite often, Jamie and I um, are playing quite similar parts. So we have a score of both of our parts and we can see them together and work them with together and that awareness of what other people are playing is always talked about in orchestras, like, oh, listen to everyone else. But also, if you actually want to, you can just look at their parts or you can ask them to play it by themselves. And during Zoom rehearsals, especially, that's something we've been doing quite a lot is just like listening to individuals playing their parts. I think yeah. that's just so helpful because you often play as a big section. And although you're trying to listen to everybody's parts, you're focusing on your part. So if you can just stop and listen to other people, I think that's also really helpful in knowing then that, you know, it's fine if I take out these few quavers or whatever. It's not going to make a massive difference to the piece in terms of like maybe what the composer intended, but it is going to make it easier for one for us to play and also make it more relaxed for us to play and the listeners to listen to.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's so interesting. And you, you sort of have related a lot of that to the social aspect of the orchestra and i know jamie you spoke about this in your bio briefly um why do you feel that the social aspect of noyo is so important and so valuable
3: well i one of the things that like comes with like sort of like the disabled community is it like it is quite an isolated community because like the world around us isn't entirely accessible it means that like forming social groups the way that non-disabled and neurotypical people would do is often a lot harder and I have I felt that kind of sense of isolation a lot in both school and even in college now where there weren't a lot of spaces where I could I could feel comfortable and I there weren't a lot of other... it was harder for me to connect with other disabled students because they were in different year groups or they were, or their schedules were different to mine. Mm. Whereas with whereas with Noyo, it's it. This is a space where there are disabled and non-disabled people alike who are who have all got the who have all immediately got one thing in common that is playing music, and mm-hmm. then it kind of goes from there a little bit and the. It's the residential, which I've only been on once, that was one of that was sort of like sort of a crowning moment and a very good summary of why the social aspect was very important, because while I still sometimes spent time with my time by myself, because social interaction can be quite draining for me. I meant that I could like have conversations with the other musicians about things we liked, and one night we all sat down and watched Bohemian Rhapsody together, and (laughs) we were sort of like making comments about it. And it's very difficult to like recognize like how significant and damaging that isolation can be until you're presented with the alternative, and that it meant a lot to me to be able to exist in a social space with other people who were like me
0: Mm. yeah Yeah, it's amazing how it sounds as if you built that kind of trust with people through music that then enabled you to get that connection that you were talking about that was so valuable yeah
1: yeah thank you so much for sharing that with us I think it's yeah very interesting the point you made about it's it's hard to know or realise how isolating a situation can be until you're presented with the alternative. And it sounds like Noyo does present an alternative in that sense.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think also for me, um, it's a similar sense. I hadn't realised how inaccessible orchestras are until I'd been part of an inclusive orchestra.
1: Yeah. And
2: I think that experience of being in an inclusive orchestra is so much more rewarding than being part of an exclusive orchestra. Um, it's just a completely different level. And I think that the social element is is thought about by the um by the orchestra leaders and things as well. Like that's built into our sort of schedule. So that the residential, really nice. you know, I think probably quite a lot of residentials are similar, but you know, the evening there's activities to do which aren't music related, but that's as important as the musical times, just to get to know people. Um and I think, yeah, for anyone who's not been part of an inclusive orchestra, I think you should definitely try because it's it's so it's so much more fun and creative and i've loved it. Yeah, that sounds really great. Yeah, i think
1: that's such a good point as well. Um as a person who's been in mainly primarily actually exclusive orchestras, so it sounds like such a great um experience. Um i'm wondering if one of you could speak a little bit about the social model of disability. That's something that we spoke about briefly before.
3: Uh, yeah well um the social model idea is based on the fact that the a lot of the struggles from disability are generated from the existing in an inaccessible world rather than the person's own struggles themselves and as an autistic person this model actually fits me quite well um particularly because a lot of my autistic traits kind of lay dormant for a lot of my early childhood and so I flew under the radar in terms of diagnosis for a bit because I wasn't in environments that were that were triggering things like sensory overload and meltdowns because I went to a fairly small local primary school and my parents arranged a lot of play dates so my mm-hmm. so a lot of my social and sensory needs were already being taken care of mm-hmm. and then when I moved and when I moved up to secondary school things started to become more obvious because, the number of people got a bit bigger, there were more people I didn't know, and I was expected to take responsibility for my own social life, and so I started to shrink inwards, and things became a lot harder. And then when I moved up to an even bigger school, things became very obvious as as more meltdowns started to kick in, at which point I got diagnosed and was then provided the right access arrangements for exams. My teachers received a bit of information about... Uh, about how to help me if i suddenly became distressed in a lesson and like while it didn't fix every problem immediately it did become a, it did become easier because the environment changed for me mm.
1: yeah and, I, I see
3: but i will say this about the social model like it isn't quite a it isn't a completely perfect analogy like one analogy i use is like just because you build a bridge doesn't mean you've gotten rid of the river And so there are certain aspects of my autism that, even if I live in a completely accessible environment, will still be an issue. I will still get drained by having to do lots of tasks and maybe have to take a rest. There are people with chronic conditions who can't really control if they have a good or a bad day. And so they just simply have to wait for one to come along and then do their best to deal with it. But Mm -hmm. while like the struggles of disability are not purely environmental it doesn't mean that the like fixing the environment is not going to negate the issue disability will continue to exist it will just be much easier to exist with once you make an environment that accommodates it
2: yeah that was a pretty it's also about sorry about like perceptions and expectations as well so it's like a societal thing. So as well as it being like, a, um, I think the most common sort of explanation of it with someone with a physical impairment, for uh, so example, a wheelchair user, And they're not disabled because if they're in a wheelchair, they're disabled because there's steps that they can't go up. So if you put a ramp there, they're no longer disabled by getting into that building, for example. Obviously, as Jamie said, it's much more complicated than that. Um, but that's a sort of yeah rough idea and i think in music particularly the expectation for an orchestra is that it's made up of so many violins violas whatever and that's why um, Noyo is an inclusive orchestra because those expectations don't exist in the same way and i think that's hopefully when we start doing our performances then we can show audiences it doesn't have to be that way and we still we're still a um competitive orchestra we still have auditions we we try uh, have high music expectations for ourselves um, but we don't have to be in the traditional music stereotypes for an orchestra
1: yeah that's really interesting I like the the analogy you gave there but also the point that Jamie made about it being very complex I think is really interesting because I've often heard the social model of disability being described as sort of like a one stop one fix all sort of idea and solution to the to to um disability so i really like that point another term that you guys have spoken about which i don't know what it means um it's the curb cutter effect i'm wondering if one of you could explain what that is
3: uh yes this came up in uh there's a channel i follow that often talks about various aspects of the gaming industry that i mainly got into because they have a little history series on the side where they talked about accessibility in gaming and they explained the curb cutter effect, which Ellen actually, which I'm going to bring it, it links back to something Ellen said. So, well, the idea is like, is that in various points along the pavement and the curb, there are dips in it. And like one of the main purposes for these dips is it allows wheelchair users to get from, to get from pavement level to road level more easily without having to worry about that step. But the thing about those dips is they don't just act service wheelchair users. So say uh, say if someone's on a bike, that suddenly makes things a lot easier for them. or if some, or if someone has got like a wheeled cart and they're moving goods from a van into a shop, or if someone's going, or if someone's taking their child out in a pram. And so the idea is that when you create access arrangements for disabled people, these arrangements will actually benefit will also provide benefits for non-disabled people. And this links back to what Ellen said earlier that she's found being in an inclusive orchestra much more enjoyable and creatively rewarding than exclusive orchestras. Mm. And so it and in terms of noyo, this applies in the fact that the accessibility and the like we said earlier, the control given to musicians and the net and the more creative aspects of it can be applied to other non-disabled groups and still be just as beneficial and rewarding
1: yeah that's such a great analogy I really like that I really love that I wasn't sure like I didn't know it would be specifically like a curb like a pavement I didn't know it would be so specific but I really like that um And it's such a good point, I think, because whenever I have, I haven't been involved in an inclusive orchestra, but when I have been involved with anything that sort of um, centres around being inclusive, I have found, oh, well, this is really helpful for me. Um, I think it really brings to light um, that being inclusive
0: is a sort of human thing. And what you're, what Noyo is trying to do is it's being very human, person-centred. And I think we all want to be, recognized for our contribution to something so I it just takes into account our differences in a sort of inclusive way and, and makes account for yeah. all of what we can bring to the table and it like you say it it just makes it a so much more pleasant and human experience for everyone as
2: I think musically as well I guess we can say that the fact that some musicians are um some musical instruments are inaccessible to some musicians means that they play technology, technological instruments, or um, using eye gaze technology with their communication systems and all sorts. And that, in the musical perspective, means that our range of repertoire is much wider than a conventional orchestra, and that we get all these sounds that you wouldn't hear otherwise. So um, lots of the clarions, they sometimes play string sounds if they want to be in the string section or whatever, but also loads of really cool, like, um, techie sounds. I'm not a very technical person, but they, <laughs> it just get, gets such a massive range of uh, sounds. And I think that's another kind of way of looking at it that those those impairments don't have to be impairments, they can be used and be uh, celebrated. And it makes it much better experience for everyone musically and socially. Yeah, I was gonna say that
1: instrument sounds really, really cool. I'm going to go and YouTube that straight after this recording. <laughs> yes. um, so the title of our organisation is Young Musicians for Social Justice. This is obviously a very big topic and a big word. Um, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how Noyo relates to the area of social justice.
2: Yeah. So I guess at the first level is that um, social justice is kind of based on like, equality and equal opportunities, and disabled musicians don't have equal opportunities in the music industry. There's massive, massive um, restrictions for people. And in the statistics, it's quite shocking the number of disabled musicians in the industry compared to the number of disabled musicians. Um, and Noyo is about providing a progression route, really. Um, the fact that in the world, most lots of countries have national youth orchestras, but the, we're the first Uh, world's first national open youth orchestra. Whereas we're definitely not the only country that has disabled musicians. Um, Mm. So I think that's from the social justice point of view that the um, kind of opportunities there, but I guess also wider um, has a, it's almost like a, I guess, kind of template, just shows people what can be done. Um, And until you've got something that an example it's hard to see how it might be done, I guess. So for other orchestras who more wanting to become more inclusive, they can mm-hmm. come to performances, they can see what we're up to, and they can hear what the sounds we're making are. And then from that, you can see, okay, this can be applied wider. It doesn't have to be just the National Open Youth Orchestra who includes disabled musicians, who includes clarion players. It can be much wider than that. And the organisation that runs the National Open Youth Orchestra is called Open Up Music, and they... Um, run many many programs for disabled musicians in special schools um open orchestras are in quite a lot of special schools and sort of the technology of the clarion was also made by open up music so Mm -hmm. they are really leading the way and sort of how it can be done and sort of making templates for others to use Mm -hmm. and i think hopefully when we start performing that kind of wider social justice within music will be seen yeah
3: in regards to like social justice is a thing i like with like particularly like with the internet social just like social justice kind of like gets treated as like a little bit of a dirty word with like the whole idea of like social justice warriors and political correctness and people mm. flying off the handle when someone da- when someone dares question their opinion or say hey maybe we should give these people a few more human rights but <laughs> it sort of like brings me back to like uh actually a comic I saw on tumblr earlier today about the difference between equality and equity Mm. and how equality it's giving everyone exactly the same treatment equity is different tools for different needs and then but it also added on an extra an extra little frame that titled justice which is the idea which is the idea of changing the system to to level the playing field for everyone and i kind of feel like we're getting a bit of that with noyo is the idea that we are like we have like reconsidered how orchestras are how our orchestra is structured and run compared to exclusive ones and if that model could be applied to other orchestras then we could get the same level of of rewards and fulfillment for other musicians even if the Like even if like, even if that kind of accessibility isn't necessarily needed for everyone, that Mm. doesn't like, again, with the curb cutter effect, it doesn't mean that other, that non-disabled musicians can't still benefit from this thing.
1: Mm. I think that's such a valid point about the, the systems. And I really like that, like little comic idea with the added thing of justice. Um, and yeah, it just really points out that orchestra's Um, can do more than just saying we're going to create equity actually we're going to change the way we function as an orchestra and it sounds like Noyo are sort of a springboard for that hopefully Um, and spreading the word I hope because it sounds great
0: (laughs) yeah you put that so eloquently
1: (laughs) so it sounds like Noyo has been a really valuable experience for both of you Um,
2: perhaps you could both describe some memorable moments for us uh, so, a particularly memorable moment for me, I think, is probably seeing the growth of Noe from the Southwest Open Youth Orchestra. And I think we did some performances with the Southwest Open Youth Orchestra, which were just so amazing to to be part of and to finally kind of it come together. So, we've done some stuff um, in various settings, and so not always in like concert settings. In the um, the concert hall, which is now called Bristol Beacon. Um, We did some concerts in there and they had like just it was just a really accessible area as everything is with noyo but also the audience hearing the diff sounds of noyo uh well for the first time southwest open youth orchestra coming together um was just really amazing and such a nice opportunity i think for for any musician to do performances it just so kind of comes together at a time um and just getting that recognition from the audience Um, it's been really amazing I think meeting all the people in Noye is probably the most for me the best thing just to to get to know some new people and I think everyone is so so friendly and so accepting and I think that's that kind of social element is so important yeah it Uh, sounds great
3: I'm gonna go with um well during lockdown uh Charlie Groves one of the orchestra's leaders started sort of like doing some like little one-on-one sort of like sessions with various musicians to sort of check our progress and one of the aspects in my sessions, like you said earlier in my bio at the beginning of the podcast that i'd I'd arranged a piece of music for the orchestra credit where credit is due, charlie did do most of the work (laughs) because he has the software for that but it was an arrangement of a piece called story and song from uh dungeons and dragon dragons podcast called the adventure zone where the, the runner of the D&D game, Griffin McElroy, has composed a bunch of music that he then edited into the background. And story and song comes, right, comes very near the end, like as you're getting to the climax of this story with the big showdown. And when essentially Charlie showed me what he'd done so far and sort of like played that through Sibelius... I actually got quite emotional because it was a piece of something I loved that I normally don't share with a lot of people because, like, over time I've become very self-conscious about, like, about sharing my various hyperfixations and interests because I would talk about it a lot and people would kind of lose interest and I wouldn't notice and then they'd get... then they'd kind of get a bit mad at me because I hadn't noticed their lack of interest. So Mm. I stopped sharing a lot of those things with other people mm. and hearing the an aspect of something i was i was passionate about not only not only having someone listen to it but actually adapting it for this orchestra and like it's i'm really that's one of the, that's another reason i'm upset about covid because we were we were supposed we were supposed to be like learning a bit about a bit of this oh piece, no hopefully but hearing hearing that being played through sibelius and thinking like I'm actually going to learn how to play this with a bunch of people. And that that was really, that was a very special moment for me. Yeah, it really sounds it.
2: Yeah, uh, sounds really hopeful. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to playing it yeah, hopefully next I, year. I really
3: hope we get a chance to play it before I have to go off to uni in, like next year. Yes,
1: um,
3: fingers crossed.
1: It sounds really cool, um, the yeah. piece of music, I'm not going to lie. Cool. So just to round us off, um, perhaps one of you could just tell us sort of a bit about the future plans for Noyo.
2: Yeah, so mainly get into doing some performances again. We've got quite a few um, new members since lockdown, which is really great. So we're going to do the residential with all of them and be doing performances. We've also got a recording that's going to probably come out in autumn time. We're going to be filming and recording that over the next few months so that look out for that on the uh, all the social medias plans are just to keep expanding and sharing the inclusivity musical approach and the music that we play with audiences as yeah. far as possible
1: cool so is there anything you would like to pass on to our listeners any information maybe about Noyo or how they could become an ally to the disabled community
3: well in regards to sort of like disabled allyship one of the big things that gets repeated over and over again and yet is often frequently ignored is the idea of like lists of letting disabled people speak for themselves and listening to us when we tell you what we need mm. there are various like accounts you can find on social media so one that i follow is called the autistic cats which is run by three autistic people who talk about their various personal experiences as well as mm-hmm. sometimes they come across studies that they found that like that point out like very interesting things about this about autistic people's experiences in academia and in various forms of therapy so yes very crucially is like listen to like listen to us and i know that i'm quite i'm quite verbal when i was diagnosed like i was it was general. I was specifically diagnosed with like Asperger's syndrome, which they describe as a form of high functioning autism, which is like high functioning and low functioning are things that autistic people are sort of trying to move away from because it's often it often kind of gets used to denote a sense of value or ability, and mm. so I know that I can communicate verbally more effectively than other autistic or other disabled people can and I think another thing is that people should open up to like other forms of communication and that just because someone doesn't speak in the way that you do it doesn't mean that they don't have anything to say and that they and very crucially it doesn't mean that they can't hear you when you say things about them
0: yeah it's
3: a really good point thank you
0: (laughs) yeah it's really important isn't it again and again to put the
2: focus on listening Mm-hmm. Yeah, and specifically a musical um, musical organisation that really focuses on that as its kind of focal point is Drake Music, and they do loads in terms of um, performances, having musicians, um, also like developing instruments and software and stuff. So Drake Music is definitely a, a place to go to look for accessible music and disabled-led music.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. We'll link all of this below thank you so much for both coming on this episode it's been really really great to meet you guys and listen to all your thoughts and perspectives um yeah thank you very much So, Rebecca, what did you think of our chat with Ellen and Jamie?
0: They had so many really worthwhile things to say um, and such a unique perspective to offer um, in so many ways. Um, It was great to hear from both of them. I love the way in which they sort of bounce off one another as well. Um, But yeah, I think in particular, it was really great to hear from Jamie. Their experience, especially with inaccessibility within the music industry, um, was really sort of important to hear um and they put it across so well so eloquently about the difference in the two spaces of what's inaccessible and accessible and how it kind of benefits everybody to have accessible spaces um it really is kind of like a no-brainer um, how about you what did you think
1: yeah i also really liked it um kind of bouncing off the point you just made i really i really like learning a bit about how accessibility can benefit everyone um so neurotypical people as well as disabled people um particularly like the curb cutter effect because i'm um, i just like that it's just based off a curb um but yeah <laughs> i just thought that was such an interesting point and about how sort of creating changing the systems so that everyone benefits as well i think just inclusivity isn't just about making it accessible for disabled people but actually just improving things for everyone and as you said as well like being more human um and as Ellen said as well about how she felt she'd always been in exclusive orchestras and being in an inclusive one she just got so much more out of it and I just thought that was such an interesting perspective I think a lot of music organizations and orchestras could learn from inclusive orchestras um yeah and it would actually just create better well-being for musicians generally I think so yeah
0: yeah totally I completely agree if you enjoyed listening to our conversations please like rate and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to give us a follow on facebook instagram and twitter at YMSJuk. we also have a brand new website so be sure to head on over to our social media pages and check this out thank you for listening and have a great week